Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I've taught recently about faith and about the importance of your faith and being strong in faith and understanding faith and the word, what the Word of God says about our redemption. Today we're going to kind of look at things a little bit differently. We're going to, we're going to really look at the Word of God and see what it says about really what you're up against. Now we know, we know by the Word that we have a victory, right? We've already been given that victory. But you know, it's just like a lot of things in our walk, you understand that God has already won the battle but see, you still, you still have to take the victory and use it in your life. You just can't say, well, because I'm a Christian, these things come to pass in my life. And that's a lot of people the way they think. They think, well, because I go to church, you know, and I gave my life to the Lord, uh, there's just certain things that shouldn't happen to me. You see, that kind of thinking is going to get you in trouble because you're going to find out there's a lot of things happening to you. And before you know it, they're going to pile up, and it's going to seem like a it's going to seem like a mountain. Seriously, and that's where a lot of people, when they finally wake up and they realize they've got a mountain sitting in front of them. All right, and then then what they'll do because of religious teaching is, well, just trust God. Well, yeah, you got to trust God, but see, you got to know you got to know what that trust in in, in encounters. And you know, as I've said before, the most important relationship you have here on this earth is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Because outside that relationship, ain't nothing going to change. But the, the more you walk in that relationship and you grow in that relationship and you fellowship with the Father and you talk with Him and you listen to Him, and heavy on the listening, not heavy on you talking, heavy on the listening to what He's saying, because he's going to tell you, and the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you things to come so that when they happen, they're, they're not catching you off guard. You understand. And you already have the answer. you just got to walk it out. You've got to speak it. You've got to do what you're supposed to do, what the Word says to do. And you start to see some things. So we look here in, in Ephesians chapter 6, and let's pick it up here in verse... Uh, Verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. All right, well, how do you, how do you put on the whole armor of God? You ever think about that? I, I've heard some kind of goofy things. I've heard people say, well, you, you, know, you, 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 you take the helmet of salvation and you put it on your head. Then you put on the breastplate of righteousness. And these, you, you know, you, you do all that. I'm like, that's just goofy. But I mean, there's people, they, they, that's how they teach. You, you put on the whole armor of God, and you, know, you say it, and that, that's you putting it on. But see, how you put on the whole armor of God is fellowship. It, it, nothing's changed. This is just a different way of saying your fellowship is you're putting on the armor of God. Your walk with Jesus, your walk with the Word, your knowledge of the Word of God is you putting on the armor of God. 
That's how you put it on. Because if you don't know what the Word says concerning an area of your life, you are going to get schooled in that by the enemy, and you don't want that to happen. And too many times that's what we see happening in believers' lives. They're being schooled by, by the devil himself, and they don't even realize it. And they don't understand that they have not put on the armor of God because the armor of God is put on through your fellowship, your relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But no man goes to the Father but through me. So the destination is your heavenly Father. It's not just the Son, it's your relationship with the Father. And you only get there through, through Jesus. So when you start to grasp that, you understand about putting on the whole armor of God. But then he goes on here, and he says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that word wiles in the Greek is the Greek word methodos. Can you guess what English word we get from that word? Yeah, method. All right, but see, method really isn't a good explanation of what this word means. This word methodos in Greek it's a military term. It means crafty, subtle. It means it speaks of trickery. And it more specifically speaks of with a road. All right? The devil is on a road. And he's out to trick you. All right? He's out to trick you. And through those tricks, that subtle... Um, his tricks, how he does it, he's only got one trick in the bag. He doesn't have many tricks. He's got one trick. In Corinthians, look at a couple of scriptures over here real quick. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. All right? And that, that word devices means the mind or the intellect, all right? What Satan does is he tries to deceive your mind, your intellect. He brings in confusion. That's the road that Paul was talking about, the method. Where, you know, he says uh, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the, or the method of the devil. Satan has one particular road he comes at you with time and time and time again. He doesn't stop because he is well schooled in that. He's been doing this for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He knows that if he keeps doing this sooner or later without the word of God or without the relationship of the Heavenly Father, you will break down. He knows it. So if he can get a little confusion in your life, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to be like those people that think they're perfect and holy and they really don't like you anyway. If he can get a word in there in your life, if he can separate you from your relationship with the Father, he can now start controlling you. He can start working in your life. He can start bringing things into your life that you have no way of fighting against because you don't even know you're supposed to be doing something. 
That's why bad things happen to good Christians. Not that they're bad people. They don't know. Remember, Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for two reasons. A lack of knowledge, and they reject it. So, there's, there, we could probably sit down and think of a, a lot of good Christians that we know that have died before their time, or they're suffering right now, and they're good people. They're honest people. They, they, they profess to love the Lord. But they, either they don't have any knowledge of, of these things, or they've heard a little bit about them and they rejected them. All right? You, you can't argue with the word. The word is truth. So he says here, he says, we put on the whole armor of God. But also back here in 2 Corinthians, I forgot, I wanted to cover another scripture here. The Lord just spoke to me. Verse 14 says, in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. In Christ. Notice what it says there. He causes you to triumph. He always causes you to triumph in Christ. What's that saying? Is that saying because you go to church, because you call yourself a Christian, you've got a Bible, and you've got several Bibles, you, you buy books and you read books, that you're going to triumph? No, it doesn't say that. It says in Christ. It speaks of submission. It speaks of yielding. The, you know, the Word of God says that you are no longer yours. You've been bought with a price. So you are, you've been bought with a price, you've been paid for, and that, that your owner is, is the Heavenly Father. So you work on that relationship. When he tells you, or he shows you in the Word, you don't do this, you, you quit doing it. You stop. And I know people struggle stopping doing things. I'm not talking about not struggling. I'm, I'm talking about you recognize that, okay, i got to stop this. This has got to stop. Lord, help me. And every time you fall, you can, you're quick to confess. Oh, Father, I, I did this. Forgive me. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the ones who just totally ignore everything. That's not a relationship. A relationship is one where you, you listen to him. You let him direct you and guide you. You don't make your own decisions. You do what you do because he's told you, he's instructed you to. And you're not going to be perfect on that. It's going to take you, this is, this is going to be a working years, maybe even a lifetime before you get to the point where what we call, uh, horse people call rain trained. What's rain trained? Well, if you've ever been on a horse, you know, you have reins that you hold on to. And you can always tell the people that don't know anything about horseback riding because they'll get out there on a horse and they'll start to pull them reins and jerk that horse. You don't have to do that to that animal. Most horses that have been rein trained, they just know just a little, a little tug and they can feel that bit in their mouth and they'll know, I better go this way. It, it, if you've got a pull on that horse to get him to do something, he's not been rein trained. See, and that's why a lot of Christians, they think God's going to pull on that bit so hard, it's going to make you... No, he's not going to do that. He's going to teach you how to be rain trained. So that when he just drops a little thing into your spirit about don't do that, 
in a small voice, you recognize it. And you say, oh, I better not do that. Not that, it, not that that is evil, but a lot of times he, he's training you on the simple things that you think, well, it's, but it's Christian. It's a Christian thing. Yeah, but I didn't call you there. I didn't, I didn't tell you to go there. But see, they, they just blow right on through that and go ahead and do it anyway. You're not rain trained, so it's a process you have to go through. So let's get back here to the Word. He says, and this is what we want to talk about. This is the title of the message, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now let's break this one particular verse down. For we wrestle not all right, against flesh and blood. Now, when you think of that word wrestle, probably everybody in here, if I were to, to have you write on paper, what does it mean to you to wrestle? We just about get different answers from each person. Because we all got a different idea of what, what wrestle means. You know, mothers might think of uh, wrestling with their three-year-old. And they call that, that's a wrestle. Because sometimes to get a three-year-old or two-year-old to do something, you're, you're in a wrestle. See, that's not what this word's talking about. Now, somebody, uh, uh, you know, Travis here, he's thinking of wrestling. He's thinking about something they do in the Olympics and stuff like that. That ain't that word. That is not that word. You've got to take yourself back into who who's Paul is speaking to. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was corrected in the book of Revelation because they left their first love. And Jesus called them back to their first love because they used to do things right, but they quit doing it. So Paul's talking here about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And just to give you an idea, Paul in, in, in Ephesians, he used a lot of military wording and description when talking about the things of God. Now, I don't know if many of you know this or not, but the, actually the oldest Bible in the, the book in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians. And when you read 1 Thessalonians, Paul does talk a little bit about what we're fighting against. But see, that was the very first book he wrote. It wasn't until years later, after he had spent a lot of time in being guarded by Roman soldiers, that he really started to bring this whole thing into picture. And that's why we start seeing in Ephesians, it's so descriptive of military things. When Paul said, we wrestle not, the church at Ephesus, their eyes perked up because they knew what that word meant. In, in those times, there were three events that the Romans used. They used, wrestling was one, but it wasn't the type of wrestling we think of. They actually fought to the death. There was no rules. One of the things they would do is they would take their fingers and thrust them into their opponent's eyes to blind them using their thumbs. The other thing they would do is come around behind their opponents and grab them around the waist and throw them up in the air and bring them down on their backs so they could break their spine. 
The only way out of that fight was you either die or you quit. And you know what happened to people that quit. They were greatly looked down upon. They were ridiculed. So most of, the, most of what happened there is, is uh, people just, they died in the ring. The next event, and, th and this word here that describes this is pale. P-A-L-E is a Greek word. Pale or pale, however you want to say it. And it, 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 it described a, a basically the word uh, a palestra, which every city had this palestra, which was a great big huge building where they actually trained people and they actually fought these events. They had three events. The first one was wrestling. The next one was boxing. But oh no, it wasn't boxing like you and I think of. Then this was boxing where men took, took leather and I heard one description where they took 16 foot of leather and they wrapped it from the shoulder all the way down to the wrist or to the, to the, to the fist and in there, they would tie in serrated nails and serrated metal. I think of the old horror movie, I think called Freddy Krueger. If you ever think, remember that movie where he had all these metal things coming from his hands? That's what, that's what, a, that's what this, this boxing match was. And the only, the only thing that you weren't allowed to do was to grab your opponent's hand. You couldn't do that. Everything else was open. So guess what happened in there? You fought to the death. You fought to the death. Or till you quit. Now, if you got through those two events, because these, these events were successive, you started in wrestling. And when you, if you run out of that category, then you went to the boxing event. Then you went to the next event, which was the palestra. Now, the palestra was only the best of the best got to this event. And this one here was the bloodiest of all events. Because they would actually take clubs and equipment and put metal, like nails, through these clubs and cre create armor, armament that they would actually beat their opponents. So as you can tell, most people never survived most people do not survive these events. So when Paul says to the church at Ephesus, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, they understood we're, we're in a fight. We're in a literal fight for our lives. Their eyes were, they were open because they were seeing what Paul was saying. If you're thinking that you're, you're wrestling like See, the English term of wrestling, no, oh no, you're in for the fight of your life. And your relationship with your heavenly father is going to, what's going to get you on the other side because now thanks be to God, he always causes us to triumph in Christ because we know something that other people don't know. And if you don't get that into you, if you don't get that into your spirit and you don't grab a hold of that and start walking in that, he is going to eat your lunch. The devil will eat your lunch. And we'll see that here in just a minute. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, <clears throat> let's look at that word, principalities. 
That word principalities means it's, it was the highest seats held, and they were held for a very, very long time. They were, they were basically like generals that had held on to these seats for generations and generations and generations. He would say, that's what you're up against. In the demonic realm, this is what you're up against. This word powers, it says, this word powers were those who had received license and authority from the principalities. What does that tell you? That tells you that Satan's in the demonic realm, they are teaching their people how to attack you. And once they graduate, they receive a license. And they're given authority by the people up above them, or the demonic beings above them, I should say. This is the Greek word kosmokratos, and it means raw power that has been disciplined and focused. It's kind of like when you think of a military, what the military does. They take young men, young women, raw, raw power, and they discipline them. So they know how to respond. They know when to respond. And they know exactly what to do. So it, it shows you right here, it was telling you, Paul was telling the, the church at Ephesus, you're up against something that has been disciplined, has power. That's what you're up against. <clears throat> and then it says, and wickedness in high places. Now, the wickedness in high places, it speaks of the air that we breathe. It's not talking about something way up there. I've heard people in the past, they get in planes and fly up above cities and fly above states and come and taking authority over these uh, principalities and, and spirits in high places. No, it's talking about the air that we breathe. It's talking about this level right here. That's what Paul's talking about. And these principalities are actually engaging you and me. In a matter of fact, when you look at this word in verse 12, it says against you'll notice this word against is used five times in this, in this scripture, in verse 12. Five times. It is the Greek word pros. It, and it means face to face, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder. You are engaging demonic beings face to face, eye to eye. They're looking at you. They're looking into your eyes. They're looking into your face. They're shoulder to shoulder facing you. It's a fight. See, this takes on a whole different... You probably... Most churches have never heard this. Ever taught in church. This is what you're up against. Now, thanks be to God that he causes us to triumph. We always triumph in Christ. See, if I got a relationship, guess what? I know I'm winning, and I know what to do. You are up against demons that know exactly how to respond to you because they've been trained. They've got power. They know how to say things to you. They know how you operate when you operate in the flesh.
They can't stop you when you step over into Christ and you start taking the authority with the Word of God. You start speaking that Word out of your mouth and just as I said in the past, you are immovable, unbendable, unchangeable because of your faith. And you stand on that Word saying, It will be as I say! The demons will flee because they recognize they're up against somebody that's walking in a higher authority than they have. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's the word pros. Five times. Anytime you see something written in the Bible that many times, that should set an alarm off in your system saying, okay, God's really want me to pay attention to this. It's really, really important that I notice what's going on here because this is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of victory. It's a matter of peace. It's a matter of knowing. So many times we look at Christians' lives, they live, they live defeated lives. They don't know what to do. Well, if there's a God, why, why is he letting this happen to me? He's letting it happen because he's told you what to do and you won't do it. You either don't have the knowledge or you had an opportunity to get the knowledge, but you rejected it because, oh, you didn't like that church over there because they, they spoke in tongues or something like that. You wouldn't go check them out. Because your mom and daddy told you, don't go to that church over there, they're crazy. They roll on, on the floor and they bite, they bite the chair legs. I've never been to a church that did that. I, I, they, they rolled on the floor. Biting chair legs, though, I've never seen that. But I heard that. I heard that. you got to watch them people. They're, they're rolling on the floor and bite chair legs. And I've never seen people bite chair legs. Roll on the floor, oh yeah, that happened. Running run in, in church, yeah, I've seen that happen many times. If the Lord tells you to get up and run, you get up and run. Yeah? <laughs> I'll run with you. Hallelujah. <laughs> but see, this is the things that Paul's trying to get across. He says, he says, against spiritual wickedness in high places, he says, verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. So he's, he's saying here, wherefore, in, in, in addition, Based on what you've just heard, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Take on the whole armor of God. What's the whole armor of God? It's the whole relationship. It's the whole relationship. That, that's how you put on the whole armor of God. You've got a relationship with the Father. The Father's teaching you things. He's showing you things. You're, you're putting on the armor of God. You're putting on faith. You're putting on a breastplate of righteousness because you know you're the righteousness of Christ. Because why? You do the right thing. And when you make a mistake, you're quick to repent. Now that also qualifies for you Psalm 91 in the Old Testament. Because you abide in the shadow of the Almighty. A lot of people think because we go to church, we, we can say Psalm 91. It ain't working for you. Because you don't, abide, you don't abide with God. You don't walk with Him. You don't listen to Him. You're not sold out to Him. You do whatever your flesh wants to do. And I'm not talking about people that struggle with that. People struggle with that. I understand that. I'm talking about the people that just, they just normally go ahead and do what their flesh wants to do. And when it's all over, they don't repent. They don't say, I'm sorry. Yep, but they come to church and they think, well, I'll, I'll just speak Psalm 91. Yeah, it, see how that works for you. You're probably laying on your deathbed saying, why, Lord, why didn't you help me? 
It's about relationship. It's, a, it's all about relationship. So he says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil. When's the evil day? Let's talk about the evil day. The evil day is whenever evil comes against you. It's not talking about when, right before the end when Jesus comes back, like today. These are the evil days, yes. But the evil day is any day that you're facing evil. That when evil comes up into your life, you are able to stand. Not shrink back, not draw back away. Not get offended and run away or blame people that church. The reason why I don't go to church faster is because somebody took my parking spot and I'm really mad. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm telling some of the goofy stuff I've heard. Now, one of these things, thank you, Lord. One of these things that happened in the boxing match, and this is an event that was recorded. One of these men got hit one day so hard that it knocked his teeth out of his mouth. And rather than spit his teeth out, he swallowed them. See, that is a picture because a lot of times in your walk with the Lord, people will try to knock your teeth out. And the best thing you can do, rather than speak up and say something and complain about what other people did to you, just swallow it. Leave it alone. I've had people do some pretty mean things to me. I've had ministries do pretty mean things to me. I don't go talking about them. I don't. I don't say anything about them bad. I learned that a long time ago because I had sickness in my body for years because I did that. And since then, I've had Christians and ministers do some pretty mean things. I don't talk about them. Why? Because it's not going to do any good. It's going to do more harm for me. Even though what I would say would be correct, it, God said in his word, don't touch my anointed. And when you speak bad of a ministry or a minister, you are touching God's anointed. Even if what you're saying is true, it opens a door for the enemy to come in and attack you. Just Swallow your feelings. Go on. Keep, keep doing what you're, you're doing. Don't change. Don't leave. You may have to sit under a pastor that you don't like. I'm not talking about anybody. But see, as a Christian, you might have to sit in a church of a pastor that you don't like. You can't leave because God hasn't released you. But most of the time, what do Christians do? They get up and walk out. And they blame the shepherd. But see, as they grow, a lot of times what happens is as they grow, something goes off in their spirit and they realize, i got to go back. Because everything that pastor was telling me, they were right. I just wasn't in a position to receive it. Yeah, I think I told you this story before about this lady. She was in a full gospel church in, in Evansville. I worked with her. And she said, I said, uh, Oh, you, you go over there to Pastor So-and-So's church. Well, yeah, kind of. Well, what, what do you mean you kind of go? Well, you know, they preach the word, but I almost get the feeling every time I go there that the pastor's talking about me. 
I, and I thought to myself, I didn't say anything to it because I was young. I was young in the Lord too at that time. I thought, do you think maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you of something? But you're not, you're not in a position to really receive it. So you're blaming the pastor. I mean, what pastor is going to want to pick on somebody in their church so that they'll leave? I mean, that's kind of stupid. That's not really a shepherd. But see, that's what flesh does. Flesh, flesh justifies it that the pastor is picking on me. No, the pastor should be preaching the word to you to help you so that you'll grow, so that you'll be strong, so that when the enemy comes in with his method, his one approach of constantly hitting you over and over and over and over again, and even when you get strong in that area, he'll keep coming back and still over your life. He still does the same. Why? Because he ain't got no other tricks. He's a one-trick pony. One trick, that's the only trick he knows. That's, how, that's what Paul was saying. That's how they operate. He keeps coming back for the same thing. And he says, having done all to stand, stand. You stand after, after you've done everything that you know to do. You've spoken the word over the situation. You swallowed your own teeth. You understand that you're face to face with these demonic powers. But because of the relationship that you have with the Father and everything the Father's telling you, you keep standing because He's not told you to leave the battle. I think I told you before how before I started walking with the Lord, even as a young kid, I hated to read. I hated to read. Man, I could probably, when I was in high school, count on one hand the number of books I read. I just hated it that much. Even after high school. Years later, the Lord, unbeknownst to me, it's because I really wasn't walking with him although I consider myself saved, and maybe I was at that time, but I really wasn't walking with him. I got an interest in civil war. Well, the only problem was, is the only way back then, this is back in the 90s, the only way to learn about the civil war is you had to read. <laughs> so I, I, I was in a, a twixt between the two. Learn or get off. Well, I started reading. And, you know, inevitably, one of the questions that come up was, I remember asking myself or asking someone, I said, how did they name these battles? You know, the Battle of Gettysburg? Battle of Shenandoah Valley? And some had cities' names, some just had areas' names. They said, well, that's real simple. I found this answer. The way they determined the name of the battle was who won the war, the battle. And how did they determine who won the battle? The army that left the battleground first lost. The one that stayed got to claim victory. So the Battle of Gettysburg... The South, they won. And they did. 
but that's how the battles, and that's how they determine the names of the battles. So the names of the battles, the South always named them by an area, the Battle of Shenandoah Valley. Okay, the South won that one. It wasn't the name of a city. It was the name of an area or a creek or something like that. Bull Run. The first battle, Bull Run. No city, Bull Run. Well, the South was considered the victory, uh, victorious in the first battle because the North thought this was just going to be a piece of cake. We're just going to walk into this thing and we're going to just wipe the Southerners out. That, what they didn't realize is these country boys knew how to, how to, how to work a weapon. And, and matter of fact, the, the North had people actually come out in, in, in buggies, horse and buggies, to watch the battle. Woo! They in for a rude awakening. <laughs> they got chased from that field. So the South called it the Battle of Bull Run because they won. When Paul said, having done all to stand, stand. Because the one that leaves first loses. The one that leaves the battle first loses. So you may be in a situation where it, it looks like you're losing. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. See, what you don't even realize is probably the enemy's already fired his last shot and he's walked away. Well, if you turn around, you walk away. Even though the enemy's walked away, you, you're not going to receive the prize because you quit. And that's what Paul was talking about. Having done, having done all to stand, continue to stand. How long do I got to stand? You stand until it, it fully manifests. How long is that going to take? I don't know. It may take weeks, it may take months, it may take years. But you still stand. Let's back up here. Did you get something today? Look here. In verse 10, he says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This word strong, it, 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 it's a picture of the strength of God. It really depicts the Father as being the mightiest one on the field. When you think of a, a soldier or a fighter, you think of somebody that's well built and, and, and has incredible strength. This word here is only for the Father. It describes his strength. He's, he, he is what we would call the Atlas. The strongest person ever. And that's what it's talking about. Be strong in the Lord. How are you going to be strong in the Lord? Relationship. Relationship. Be strong in the Lord. And then it says the power of his might. That word power is the same word to describe the Father raising Jesus from the dead. Which we know Paul said it was the most power that God used of all time when he raised Jesus from the dead. More power to than, than he used to, crea to create the world? Yeah, oh yeah. More power. Because when, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't just raise him, he raised all of us. And that's what this word's talking about. See, and that's what Paul was saying, what you're up against. You're going to have to be strong in the Lord. I heard a, a minister talking about this 
he gave this story, and it really speaks volumes of how these demons operate. He, he was ministering at a church, and uh, there was a couple that came up, an older couple, and the man had his hands in his pockets, and the wife was standing next to him, and she had her hands behind her back, and he said, uh, and at the time he didn't know, but he said this later on, they were from a denominational church, and they didn't even know why they were there. But here they are in a prayer line. And uh, he said to the man, he said, how can I pray for you? And this man said, well, you're not going to believe this. But he said, he, he, and he pulled out his hands, and his hands were so writhered up, pulled up inside. And uh, this minister said that his fingers were almost like they were coming through the backside of his hand, on both of his hands. And he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, but I went to the doctor and, and showed him this, what was happening. And he said, I had a real bad case of arthritis. And they did operations on my hands to try to straighten them, and they couldn't straighten them. And he said, I told the doctor when this started, I felt like something came on my hands. And after they were deformed to that point, he said, I felt it leave. Now, up until that day, this man didn't know anything about demons and how they operated. Because they were teaching about demonic warfare and things like this. This is back in the 80s. And guys like Derek Prince and, and that were running around there. Everything was, was casting out devils. Everything was demons. Okay, so this is way back then. And he said... And he looked at his wife and he said, okay, so what are you here for? She said, well, and she was standing with her hands behind her back and she said, well, he didn't tell you the whole story. When those demons left his hands, they came on mine and her hands were just as bad as her husband's. Wow. And she said, I felt them come on my hands and they stayed for a period of time. And then when my hands were all withered like this, I felt him leave. That's what Paul was talking about when he said against principalities and powers of, of darkness. These demons go around, they've got one method. And they'll go out and they'll attack people with that one method. A lot of times it's cancer. One will get cancer, they'll go to the next one, give them cancer, then go to the next one. They walk through hospitals, inflicting sickness on people. Pain and sickness, because that's what they do. They are disciplined warriors to do evil against people, face to face, eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth. They stay there and stay there and stay there and stay there until what happens? Something starts happening in your body. Knowing that most people will just take it or go and have a physician look at them and see. See, physicians can heal things that are natural, wrong. 
but they don't understand how to come against demonic powers. And sometimes that's what they're up against, and they don't even know it. You can't fix something that is demonically inspired using natural remedies. You need supernatural powers. And that's what this word is. It's supernatural. It teaches you how to walk in the supernatural. So that things, when they come against you face to face, you stand up against them and you look them right in the eye and say, not today, devil. Because this is what the word of God says. And I'll say it to you over and over and over again, you're leaving. Not in my house, not in my life, not in my family, not in my children's family, not in my grandchildren. It ain't happening. I'm telling you that now. So you got to stand. You can't be like these wimpy Christians that, oh, 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 help me. Or I'll go down social media and I'll ask all the prayer warriors to pray. It makes me want to vomit. I, I, I can't believe the unbelief in the church. Did you just say, pastor, say something against prayer? Yes, because you get on social media and you believe you can have somebody else pray for you that don't even know how to pray. It's done as we, as we speak. Oh, what's done? What are you in agreement with? Look at the Bible, what it says. If you agree, and these people are asking for it, they're not agreeing in anything. They're, they're crying for help. And I, I have compassion for them. Yes, I do have compassion for them. My heart breaks for them. But seeing what they're doing, it's a waste of their time. Unless one person gets on there and says, I know how to pray. But we've got this mentality that if I can get 10,000 people praying, we can shake heaven and get God to do something. Like he's withholding things from you? What are you thinking? He's a good father. We're just saying he's a good father. Didn't we not? We're saying he's a good father. Is a good father one that will withhold healing from you because you don't jump high enough? You ain't got 10,000 people praying for me. That's not a good father. That's twisted. And that's what a lot of believers, their thoughts are. They're, they're twisted in how they think. And they want to blame God when things don't happen. But he's showing you in his word. He's giving it to you in his word. You just have to access and take hold of it. Amen? All right, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray you got something today. I pray you got something today that will stick with you the rest of your lives. You'll never turn loose of it. And yet you'll grow in it. And understand what you're up against. It's no more playing. We need to get skillful with the things of God. And no more playing church. You can't, you can't play church. You've got to take church out to the world. You've got to take church out to the world. And you're not taking church out to the world if you're going out there complaining about church. How goofy is that? You think your idea of taking church to the world is going out and telling people how bad church is. 
can both good water and bad water come out of the same spigot? That's what Paul said. No. It's all bad. That's what you're doing. And there's people that claim they love Jesus out there doing silly stuff like that. And they're thinking, God's using them. No, the devil's using you, buddy. He's using you. I know there's bad churches out there. And it's not so much that there's bad churches, there's just, there's just churches out there. They don't know better. They don't know. They've never been taught. But we need to take the church out into this city, out into the world. We need to be the church. We need to let people know what's going on. Point them to the Word. Take them to the Word. We know what we're up against. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I believe some of you, some of you I see them breaking right now. There's things in your lives right now, right as I'm standing, I'm seeing this in the Spirit. There's some things in your life that before this morning, they had you in bondage, but the straps have been broken. The chains have been broken. They've coming off. Oh, they're still dangling there, and you can hear them moving. But see, they've been broken now. And you even know that these things have been broken. So things are going to get better. You keep walking with Jesus. You keep walking with the Word. You keep fellowshipping or start fellowshipping if you haven't. Start fellowshipping with the Father. Start fellowshipping with the Word. And those other chains, everything in your life is going to be broken off. And you'll walk in freedom. And you'll see those things that you didn't see before. And you'll understand that in Christ, he has given you the victory over everything, every area in your life. Glory be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Well, Father, I call these people the head. I call them, not, they're not the tail. They're above. They're not beneath. Father, everything they put their hands to will prosper. It will prosper in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.